This call is now being recorded. Hi, thanks for joining us for part two. This is the Master Blaster Podcasters uh, finishing the Maiden versus Ozzy Battle of the Pans. We just spoke about Power Slave, and in kind of gushing terms, uh, we both really like that disc for for Dirty. It's, it's it sounds like it's probably his favorite, one of his favorites. Um, let's move on uh, now. Again, Bark at the Moon came out in '83, the end of '83. That encompasses 83 and 84. Moving on to 1985, the only record released here was Live After Death. Uh, I, I know you said it earlier, too, like not a fan of live albums. I'm not either. Um, there's a few albums. I like Priest Live. I like uh, – but it, it kind of ended in the 80s. Kiss Alive started that whole live you know, album shit. And then pretty much in the 90s, I think it was a little bit extinct unless it was like a unplugged from MTV or something. Um, so, Terry, what do you think of, uh, I mean, obviously, Live After Death, there's nothing new there, but it's all their songs, uh, done live, great cover album, of course. Great yeah. album. Um, yeah, I liked it, uh, I liked it because I, I got to hear, like, their first two albums played by that current lineup, and I think it just, uh, you know, that's, that's how I like to hear those songs, uh, Running Free and, um, you know, Iron Maiden and all that. Uh, I like it. I like it with, uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson singing it and how they play it. I just think it's great. That's, that's how I listen to the first two albums. I'll just listen to their live versions. Um, great. Uh, for a live video, you know, for then it was, it's pretty good. Um, I, you know, just, it's good. It's just, you know, you get to see Eddie come out on stage and, um, like they're really good live performers. Um, like we said, they, they lived on the road literally for, you know, three years, I believe. They just nonstop tour album, record album, tour, record album, tour. Um, and then I think this is just, uh, the, the peak of their, of their sound and their, you know, their success. And, uh, as far as my, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the live after death, one of the, uh, one of the best live albums ever, like I said, great, great album cover art is fucking him coming, you know, Eddie rising from the, from the dead, uh, with the it's all blue and, and yellow. And like the colors are great too. It just, yeah. uh, it's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not much else we can say about it because it's a live record. There's nothing new to talk about. It's all the older songs done live. Uh, obviously, 1985, Advantage Iron Maiden. Uh, Ozzy didn't produce anything uh, in 1985, but we will move on to 1986. This is uh, both parties released a record in 1986. Let's start out with The Ultimate Sin. Um, more changes for the Ozzy camp. Uh, Phil Susan is added to the lineup as the bass player. Um, again, Bob Daisley is still writing all the lyrics. He's basically paying him off. Ozzy's paying him 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever the amount that was agreed upon to write the lyrics and then would not give Bob Daisley credit for it on the album liner notes. I can't believe uh, that, man. It's, it's Yeah, it's they eventually... It gets even worse. I mean, I should have mentioned this during Diary of a Mad Men, but... Later on, in the late 90s and, two, and early 2000s, uh, Mike, 
Who's the, the drummer from Faith No More? Mike Bordick? Or, no. Yeah, Borden? Yeah. Borden, or some, something like that. Mike Borden and Robert Trujillo, who ended up joining Metallica, right. formerly, I believe, of Suicidal Tendencies. Those two guys were in the Aussie band. Sharon paid them to record over, to dub over, they erased the tracks of Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake as a punishment because they successfully sued the Osborne camp um, for not having writing credit wow. on on the albums. They had they did that. So as a as a revenge wow. tactic, she took out their parts and re released Diary of a Madman at least. I'm not sure about Blizzard of Oz. I know for some reason it was Diary Diary of a Madman. Huh. That and they blamed each other. Ozzy was like, I didn't do it. Sharon did it. Sharon just said, no, wow. I don't have that kind of power. Ozzy did that. Because it was such an uproar. Uh, I I got to tell you, I'm surprised that, that there wasn't a sort of a, like a riot against Ozzy and his and his wife for what they've done. I mean, if you're really an Ozzy fan, it's it's just as, kind of as disgusting as it gets. And it just keeps going on and on. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just don't ever think they really got their comeuppance. From, from doing these type of shady tactics. but Because uh, actually Sharon went on in the hell. She was a manager for the Smashing Pumpkins and all kinds of future. Uh, oh, yeah. why, why in the hell would you ever hire her as your manager after she's fucked, how bad she's fucked the people that have worked for her? But anyway. Right, yeah. I don't know. But Randy Castillo, a new drummer for Ozzy during the Ultimate Sin, uh, rest in peace. He actually passed away early in his early 50s, I think. Uh, in the late 90s and early to, or early 2000s, excuse me, as he was, right. uh, he briefly replaced Tommy Lee as the drummer in Motley Crue. Uh, yeah, so anyway, the Ultimate right. Sin. Uh, Dirty, what do you think of uh, the Ultimate Sin, Ozzy Osbourne, 1986? Uh, probably my favorite Ozzy album. Period. Uh, it was the first album I got into. Um, I don't know. It's just, in my opinion. Um, besides like uh, No More Tears I think it's one of the heaviest Ozzy albums all together J.K. Lee's a badass um, uh, it's, a, it's a great album um, great songs um, Ultimate Sin is like my favorite song on the album um, I, I actually you know at this stage in my life I was actually um paying attention more to the lyrics um so some of these some of the lyrics are great uh a little more thought provoking but um good out you know good production good i like all the band you know the musicians in the band um you know at, at the time i you you started to see Ozzy on TV more he hosted a he hosted a episode of Friday night videos with uh, Dr. Ruth Westheimer, um, and that was interesting. Um, I just, I just thought it was good, man. It was just a uh, good album. Good, you know, as far as like for Ozzy, like I think it was great, and you know, it was a great album cover. Um, I think that was a good tour too for him. Um, yeah, yeah, this is good. You know, it was up there. I think it finally achieved metal, you know, heavy metal. Uh, I don't know. It was just, it was very metal 
I think it was up there with Maiden and Judas Priest. And, and before it was kind of like, you know, of course it was, but it wasn't, I didn't feel it was quite the same, but now I think he was at a point um, where he was just, he was there and uh, he had a more, I think, mature singing voice too. Um, but yeah, that's just, yeah, good, good all around. I like the whole album. Except for, yeah, I except do too. For, except for Secret Loser. I think that's a, like the shitty ass song, but um, other than that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, except for Secret Loser, I, I like every single song on the uh, album. I mean, including Secret Loser. I think Secret Loser is a, is a good song. It's a song that Bob Daisley wrote about Ozzy Osbourne. Basically, I'm, I'm a secret loser. Like, I'm on stage being a rock star. Meanwhile, I can't keep my shit together as soon as I get off the stage. Um, wow. Yeah, you know, behind the surface are wounds that cannot heal. Uh, if you read the lyrics, it's actually very keen. In fact, Bob Daisley, wrote, he wrote, Now You See It, Now You Don't Off the Bark of the Moon about Sharon Osbourne. He would take these jabs at them because they, they keep hiring to write the lyrics. And they're too wow. stupid to realize he's writing a lot of these about them. Right, that's great. And, yeah, talking about flipping the script for Bob Daisley, the song Shot in the Dark was written by Full Susan, uh, the song that he brought in. Actually, technically, it was the biggest single that Ozzy released up until that point. It was kind of a hit. I remember seeing the video all over MTV at the time. Yeah. Um, it, the, song, the, the record just starts out right away with these killer... Tom drums with uh, Randy Castillo, and then Jakey Lee goes into the heaviest riff, just saturated with effects. This is an effects-heavy guitar record. I think he does the effects guitar solos and mixing it with his riffs about as anybody good as anybody in the '80s. I love. I don't know the names of the pedals anymore. I have one big effects pedal that has everything in there. Um, but it's that I keep saying this drowning sound that Jakey Lee has with his guitars. Incredibly, if you take a song, a, a, a song, kind of an unknown song on the record, never. It's never too late to cry. It's never too late to, you know, this and that. Um, if you read the lyrics to that, yeah, tremendous, tremendous lyrics. I don't really think that Bob Daisley gets the credit that he deserves or how good the lyrics that he wrote for the album were. In fact, I'm going to try to bring these up. It'll take me two two seconds to read these, but the lyrics to Never. It is the voice of your laughter that echoes in vain in the vessel of your sorrow and pain. It is the beat of a heart that you hear in your mind. Something's missing, but you cannot explain. It's another dig at Ozzy Osbourne. You search your soul for feeling over and over now. I'm sorry. I think this is about Sharon. You search your soul for feeling over and over. There is no use in dreaming over and over as if she's got no fucking soul. Right. Um, It is the chain that you are dragging that was once your relief that everything is born to die. Mm -hmm. But the birth of the doubt that once was your belief is drowning you in the tears that you cry. The way that he is going after Ozzy and Sharon with these digs and the rhymes he's putting into it is fucking genius. Yeah. Bob Daisley is in the 1980s. He is one of the best lyric writers that existed in heavy metal. Period. The guy's unbelievable. Um, yeah. And the guitar playing, like I said, never. If you listen to that song, the 
guitar riff is fantastic. He plays the most unbelievable melodic, uh, effects-driven guitar solo uh, in this. And some of it is complicated and fast with the solo. Some of them are just melodic and hit the right tone at the right moment. And his feel for the guitar in Ultimate Sin is about as, as good as it gets. And I know that Aussie fans like Randy Rhodes better, and I'm not saying he's not, but if you're going to move on from Randy, boy, right. is he lucky to get Jakey Lee. This guy yeah. was, he formed Badlands after this, which was a great, the first Badlands record is fantastic. If you like Ozzy or if you like Jakey Lee, if you like heavy metal, you want to check out a Led Zeppelin-esque hard rock bluesy heavy metal band with Ray Gillen as the vocalist who was formerly a Black Sabbath. You, I believe he replaced the guy for Deep Purple who replaced Dio in Black Sabbath. Yeah, He's yeah. a great singer. Uh, anyway, Ultimate Sin, Fantastic Killer of Giants is an absolute classic right. Aussie song. Every Aussie fan loves it, even though it is a little bit, there's some Stairway to Heaven in there. Once I learned how to play Stairway to Heaven on guitar, I'm like, oh, that's a little... That's the Killer Giants is taking a little something from that. Sure. Uh, That's pretty common. It is. It is. It happens. Uh, still a great song. It, talking about Nuclear War, as you said before, this yeah. is the album, as you said, how your mom took apart like uh, Power Slave or Peace of the Mind and wanted to know what you were listening to and wanted to uh, see how much, how evil it was, if it was going to warp your mind. My mom did that with the Ultimate Sin. I got this. She made my dad read the lyrics. And go over it wow. and try to see if there's anything in there that would warp my mind. And thank God for the bomb is an anti-nuclear song. Killer yeah. of Giants is an anti-nuclear song. My mom didn't understand as much really metaphor and lyrics. I can understand looking yeah. at Ozzy and saying like, this guy's disgusting. I don't want my son like being like Ozzy Osbourne. My dad right. read the lyrics and he was able to, to, to understand the metaphors and be like, no, but this is actually, these are pretty smart lyrics and this is anti-war stuff. Um, uh, what else? Never, never know why. You'll never know why we rock. Great fucking song. Lightning strikes again. Great song. Uh, Shark in the Dark is one of my least favorite songs on the record, and it was the main single. But all in all, fantastic record. Uh, they had Ozzy had a reputation at this point, taking out young up and coming bands. It was Ozzy and Motley Crue for Bark at the Moon for the Ultimate Sin. I wish I would have seen Ozzy and Metallica. It was Ozzy and Metallica on the Ultimate yeah. Sin tour. Yeah, um, bitching and, and uh, it, this was a time to be a heavy metal fan. Whether oh it was, God. I mean, this is it. 1986. I was a fan, huge fan of Dawkins at the time. Under Lock and Key was a, I thought a great record. I really loved it. I was a fan of Motley Crue. I liked right. Theater of Pain and Shout at the Devil. Anyway, um, and this is Ozzy's contribution to heavy metal at the time. I think it's a fantastic, underrated record, and I still listen to this record quite a bit yeah no i i agree and it was a big time i think just for metal you had judas priest they had they're doing turbo um but yeah um yeah just good i i yeah great time yeah good stuff one more thing is that his i, I do give ozzy credit for his voice wrapping around the melodies expanding his voice to the melodies and going up and down and hitting these different he was really sharp and good with that. Fool Like You is a tremendous vocal melody on there, um, like he does with many of the songs. So, all right, I think that wraps up uh, The Ultimate Sin, 1986. 
we've got somewhere in time from Iron Maiden. Yeah. Here you hit it. Um, yeah, not one of my favorites. I started to lose interest in Iron Maiden at this point. Um, I just was like, uh, just I think it got, it just got too soft. Um, it was like the opposite of Ozzy, where it was just like, I think his pinnacle was the ultimate sin, and I think somewhere in time for Iron Maiden, it was like when they started to just, eh, it would just, it just, it just didn't do anything for me. Uh, I was forced to, I mean, I got, I got the album because I was like, oh, but then I was just like. Not feeling this, man. Not the same way. Not. Uh, I, I couldn't. Couldn't get into it. So. Yeah, for me, uh, this is my favorite Iron Maiden album. Still, I listened to it last night, and Iron Maiden has never been as tight as they were. And, and, and let me say this: there's number of the beast piece of mind. Power Slave is one section of Iron Maiden. The first two albums are another section. Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son of a Seventh Son are the third section. If you want to say the progression or uh, if you want to say the non-progression as if they're kind of going backwards. I still think they're going forward because they got to, you know, Ozzy was forced into changing his sound because people would leave him all the time. The guitar players would leave to change his sound. Mm -hmm. This keeps Iron Maiden from sounding like ACDC. Or Slayer, the bands that do the same thing over and over again. Francis, those are two bands that do it successfully. Slayer with thrash metal, ACDC with hard rock heavy metal. This is a progression, and to me, this is where Adrian Smith steps out into the forefront of this record. He's writing songs by himself. Uh, Bruce Dickinson famously put this out, didn't have one songwriting credit on the whole album. He went into the recording session with acoustic guitar, and said, it's time for us to turn into Led Zeppelin. And Steve Harris said, what do you mean? He goes like, well, we have to do like Stairway to Heaven and, and uh, Over the Hills and Far Away, and we need to create, a, a, we need to change our sound. And he, I think he was on to something that you can't do the same. That had been done to death. Um, they got into the prog metal. That's still a part of this record. It's still hard. It's still heavy. I know they introduced guitar synth to it, but, you know, they all, Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson knew they needed something a little bit different. Steve Harris wanted to do the same thing as far as the songwriting. did like the guitar synth being added to it, which adds a different sound to it. I think it's fucking great. I really like the change of the sound during this period. I think the actual material is is fantastic. Uh, you talk about caught somewhere in time right away. The rhythm is still. It's a Steve Harris song. It's still got that. So it's still hard and heavy. It just has a little different. Obviously, the guitars have a different sound. I welcome the change. I think it's great. Wasted Years is my favorite Iron Maiden song. The greatest guitar riff written solely by Adrian Smith, as was uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, one of the heaviest riffs that Iron Maiden's ever, ever written. Uh, great lyrics on both of those. It's about being on tour and being kind of, it's just, it's different. It's not about pyramids and it's not about mariners and it's not about Egyptians or Genghis Khan. It's just about a guy who's lonely on the road who wishes he was back home. But I want to just say briefly, the opening lyrics to Wasted Years, which I think are some of the greatest lyrics that they've ever written. 
from coast to coast across the seven sea, traveling on far and wide. But now it seems I've become a stranger to myself, as if the things I say and do, it's not me but somebody else. And if I picture being a star, a rock star, you know how you're different around at work than you are around your friends, than you are around your family or your mother? I can't imagine how different I would be if I was a rock star with the press, with the groupies, with the fans. To me, this is an insight into that not a lot of rock stars talk about, the downside of being a rock star, being away from your friends and your family, the people that truly love you, being surrounded by the hangers-on and the people that love you not for you but what you produce for them. Yeah. That's a that stranger in a strange land him adding his lyrical prowess to Iron Maiden changes Iron Maiden forever, expands Iron Maiden into a different band than they ever have. They still have the Steve Harris material on there, but to me, Adrian Smith becomes an ultimate rock star on this record. Sea of Madness, Yeah. when he starts off with that riff, and then Bass kicks in, and I hear it, it's made in heaven for me. I mean, I listened to that last night, and I heard the lyrics are great, the the vocal melodies are great, the time changes are great, there's a combination of heavy giddy-up and thumps with more melodic guitar solos, and if you say softer, I say melodic. The guitar solos, to me, I can hear such a big difference. It's such, so many light years away from the first Iron Maiden. And what I hear, the first Iron Maiden record, and what I hear is true progression. Um, if I say one more thing about this record, the Dave Murray song, Deja Vu, love it. Alexander the Great, uh, totally cool song. Uh, right. I can't remember the course right now. Heaven Can Wait is a classic Steve Harris song. Every single song on this record, to me, is very good. I can't think of a main... I know Power Slave, every song is just about very good. To me, this takes it a little further. I know they're a little bit more commercial in this one. Uh, but to me, I hear some one person will say commercial. I say catchy. And I think this is the uh, ultimate Iron Maiden song of the collaborations of the writers, of the... Uh, difference of the material, the variance of the material, and to me, this is just a little teeny bit better than Power Slave. Um, so, 1986. The big thing is, Dirty. What do you What do you think? Is it Ultimate Sin versus Somewhere in Time? Which record do you like more? Oh, Ultimate Sin's great. Like to me, Somewhere in Time is like their toilet years, where they start to just <laughs> shoot the bed. Um, you I think it's that bad? Through. So you think it's more? Yeah, I just. Yeah, I just just couldn't get into it, and and then you know I don't want to get into the next album, but it just seems like it just. I mean, I'm I'm glad they you know I don't know if they still play now. I don't know what's up, but you know they they never stopped. Like they they played you know through the '90s and the early 2000s, and you know uh, I know they were an Ozfest one year, um, right? And but I just couldn't just couldn't do it, man, and. Uh, you know, I didn't lose respect for him, but I just, uh, like you said, it just, that just, my thing was the three albums, and after that, I just couldn't, 
And I had friends who were diehard fans, and, you know, they still listen to it, and I just couldn't couldn't do it. And then they added, like, another guitar player. So they had three guitar players eventually, and that I was just like, wow. But no, I, I give a shit. Yeah, that happened after in Adrian Smith left in 1990 after No Purpose Dying. They added Johnny Gears, who played on Tattooed Millionaire with Bruce Dickinson. Then mm-hmm. Adrian Smith came back, I think, around 99. Bruce Dickinson even left. Did you ever hear the, the non-Bruce Dickinson Iron Maiden? I was unaware that that was even a thing. <laughs> he got replaced by the – well, he left, and he got replaced by the Wolf Spain singer. He sucked. I mean, yeah. God, did he – I can't stand it. He had a stupid – I can't – Chaz Daly or something like I don't know. It's it right. it, it, it it didn't work at all. Um, didn't like it. Um, I will say this: two things before we move on. Want to talk about the Ozfest thing before we even forget about it? And um, I heard the new the newest Iron Maiden song, which was released in 2021. Huh. Um, God, I forget the title. It's kind of forgettable. It's not. It doesn't sound anything like Iron Maiden. The guitar yeah. sounds more like Neil Young. Yeah. Than it does like uh, than it does like Iron Maiden. It's not very progressive, not very technically great or anything like that. And, and Dickinson certainly sounds different. He he's still has the howl. He's just not as high as he used to be. I mean, um, that's just inevitable. You can't your voices get shredded after a while. So yeah, uh, there's a small handful of guys that can sound as good. By the way, totally off topic, but. I was talking to you about. I saw Duran Duran get uh, introduced to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The singer sounds the same. He's a different type of singer. He wasn't doing tons of acrobat vocals, but uh, it's it's very yeah, it's very hard to maintain that when you get into your sixties. All right, I guess between somewhere in time and the ultimate sin, boy, that's one where I might give a tie because I love the ultimate sin, but I think that somewhere in time is Iron Maiden's best. So I guess I'll give it a tie on that one. Before we move on, one last thing. What happened, I think it was around 2010, Ozfest, Iron Maiden played with, with uh, Ozzy. I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Black. I don't think it was Black Sabbath. I think it was just Ozzy. Again, Sharon Osbourne. I guess there was a argument about either stage time, like set list time, volume. I think it had to do with Maiden. Especially Bruce Dickinson claimed that the Aussie camp was lowering their their sound, their their amplifiers in the in the master mix. Oh, yeah. They were lowering their volume as opposed to an Aussie camp, which is a common thing of an opening band versus a a headliner. I remember seeing Tesla right. and Motley Crue together in the eighties. You could barely hear Tesla, and the Motley Crue came out and it was really loud, which was very disappointing because yeah. um, Tesla was better than Motley Crue. Right. But anyway. Um, <laughs> So for this, he comes out and he says, hey, quit fucking with our, with our board, with our soundboard. Quit turning us down. So you know what she did? She completely cut off the sound for about 20 minutes during one of the concerts and left Iron Maiden up there and basically fucked all of Iron Maiden's fans with paid good money to go see them at Ozfest. I can't think of a um, – god damn, I, I don't want to push this too far as far as the, the Sharon Osbourne stuff, but she is – about as unlike people talk about Yoko Ono, Sharon Osbourne is ten times worse. Oh than Yoko yeah, Ono no, ever was. She um so during that uh, during what is it VH1's behind the music, 
was it? I think it was there somewhere. I heard she was trying to fuck around, you know, have sex with Randy Rhodes. Right. Uh, yep. uh, and it's not like Ozzy was, you know, he just got busted for talking to a chick online like five years ago. And he's in his fucking 70s, so almost 80s probably now. And he's so he's gross. But it's just, you know, she's she's horrible. I've heard, you know, Billy Corrigan's complained about her, and he's whiny, but, you know, you could see her screwing him. Um, you know, like, just, uh, like, there's just endless things. You know, she's just the, uh, an example. I mean, didn't her dad, I mean, he started the screwing over of bands. You know, he did it with, uh, he manipulated Black Sabbath and had them, they, they drove around leased cars and everything, so it wasn't even their shit. That was another issue they had back in the 70s. And then she just continued that legacy of bullshit, uh, you know, just uh, being shady uh, to music, to, to rock stars. And it's just, it's just sad. And, and uh, you just, you, you you know, it's just like, why, why are you so, why are you so fucking, you know, gross? Like, uh, why would you do that to people? You know, it's just like, just fucking treat people right. But, that's just not how it works in the music business, especially with her. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I'll give Ozzy credit because when I have seen him live, he's a, he, he performed amazing lyrics. No, you know, he didn't stumble. It's like he can go into performance mode. He can sing. But once he gets off that stage, he's just a useless sack of shit, man. And I don't know which is worse, like him back in the day, you know, in the 80s and the 70s and the 90s. But, like, once he got sober and then he started doing prescription meds, then you got the, uh, 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 and so it's, I don't know what's worse. <laughs> yeah. Then it's yeah. like, then he became like a super douche with, you know, the whole fucking gross family. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. All good. Well, I don't fucking care. He was horrible to Randy Rhodes at the very end. Randy Rhodes didn't want to do Speak of the Devil. He didn't want to do a Black Sabbath cover album. Uh, he's like, look, I got all kinds of material here. And, uh, but it was a money grab for them. So him and Ozzy didn't get along at the very end. I mean, Ozzy seems like a guy that doesn't have any regret, but he really should have a lot of regrets because at the end, he was treating Randy Rhodes like shit. He would walk around and tell him, like, oh, I'm going to replace you with Gary Moore. I'm going to replace you with, oh my God. Uh, uh, Frank Zappa. I'm going to replace you with this no. guy. Oh. And Randy Rhodes had to hear that being musically so superior. Ozzy, Randy Rhodes had to listen to his drunken ass mouth. Plus, he's canceling all his all his tour dates because he can't play because he's too fucked up. You're right. He's right. Like, who the fuck makes it out of that rubble and ends up being worth a quarter of a billion dollars? Yeah. Like, by the way, you know how much worse his life would be with everything he's going through if he wasn't worth a quarter of a billion dollars? He can pay right. for the best medical treatment to to help alleviate his pain and do everything he can. But like, it, it's just um. He's just I don't know. It is. And coincidentally, when you said that he shaved his head after a, he did that after a drunken night of of uh <laughs> but yeah. that's exactly the night that he pissed on the Alamo too and he got trouble for that. So well, um, that that part was cool, but other than that, that part was just... funny. That was funny. Um I'm not but yeah, sure, but I think Ozzy's got a little bit of wit to him. Um but he's just a fuck up. Basically, he's just a fuck up waiting to happen. Um, yeah. So moving on from that, uh, so that we explained the, the, the rift between Iron Maiden and Ozzy, 
Knights, let's move on. After 1986, 1987, uh, Maiden finally takes a break. It's the first year that they don't release an album. 1987, Ozzy releases Tribute. Oh, no. No, I thought I thought uh, Maiden put out uh, uh, Seven Son of the Seventh Son. 1988. Really? Yep. Weird. So, yeah, 1987. Now, Tribute is not a – it's a supposedly a thank you to Randy Rhodes. What it was was a cash grab uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, he was so gross. This is the other thing. It's like the guy goes on about Randy Rhodes, like, oh, I miss him. You know, he's one of my best friends. And it's like, it's almost like when he released those tracks and everything, it's like he just, he didn't have shit. So he's like, well, I'll just glorify the memory of my guitar player who died tragically. Uh, well, I don't know what it is about airplanes and rock stars. Like, that's always... It's sad, or tour buses, but, uh, yeah, it just seems like he just pulled out old material and then, uh, you know, slapped some old photographs on the inside sleeve of the album and then just uh, ran a a bullshit campaign on, I, I miss my best friend and all this shit, and it's like, did you sober up or something? Like, what, you know, what what made you think about him then, you know? And that was a huge seller, too. Like, that was a fucking huge... You know, it huge. It sold three million. It like it researched uh, uh, his his first two albums. You know, like the the popularity. I'm sure it, he sold. You know, made money off of those again. And uh, but yeah, he's just uh, he sucks so bad. And it's I go on about Ozzy. He's just gross. So at that point, when he releases tribute, uh, which by the way, he had a current guitar player. Uh, his current guitar player is like. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. I mean, you like Randy Rhodes oh. so much. He couldn't stay. He wanted to. He couldn't get away from you fast enough. After right. your release tribute, Jakey Lee left. Um, now, Jakey Lee, I think he claims that he was fired by Sharon because he wasn't on board for the tribute record. I, it's it's a little blurry. And then yeah. Jakey Lee at one point blamed Phil Susan or whatever. It's just a big mishmash of of whatever. But. Anyway, uh, we'll get into no Re- uh, no rest for the wicked in a minute, but yeah, tribute. Uh, there's nothing really to say about it, but uh, I guess advantage Ozzy because it's the only uh, record released by the two parties, sold over three million, uh, huge seller. Um, crazy train, remember the crazy train video. Let's move on to 1988. Uh, 1988. All right, get our get our records back up. 1988. All right, so to start again with Ozzy, another lineup change. Bob Daisley actually is back in the band playing bass, even though Geezer Butler is credited on the liner notes once again. Really? Um, yep, Geezer Butler, right, was along, yeah. Geezer Butler was along for the tour. I saw Ozzy twice on this tour. Uh, wow. I was 14 years old. Um, Zach Wild, introduction of a 20-year-old kid from Jersey, um, kind of a a big muscular dude that got offered a football scholarship to USC, turned it down, uh, ended up touring with Ozzy, um, ended up to be in my mind kind of um, unlikable. I don't really, uh, you and I, Dirty, you and I saw, went to Ozfest, I think it was 2005, and saw his band 
Um, and you went on this whole, as you would say, jingoistic spiel no, uh, during oh, the Iraq War. Okay. But, uh, so, Zach Wilde, him, it was him and Phil and Sama both during their sets. And it just turned into this pro-American, racist, Islamophobic shit show. And it's just like, really, man? Like, I mean, and, and that was like, you know, perfect for them because we were so, I think that's when I got in an argument with a drunk douchebag who was pointing at nobody saying some dumb shit. And you and, you and uh, our friend Phil was just, were like, oh, great. Um, but it was just like that. And I was booing, uh, I think I was booing him because we were, I was close enough. But, you know, you're so far from the stage, but I was close enough, and people were, like, looking at me because I was booing him and fucking Phil and Samuel, and I was just like, God, dude, like, and I even, t- I reminded Phil, and he, he was like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah, you don't forget this shit. You go see a live concert, you don't forget when the singer's yelling out racist shit, and you're like, so you're going to give me some money back because I didn't pay for the bigotry, even though, you know, people say what they want to say, you're free to do what they want. But it was just like, God damn, dude, like, you know, what the fuck, dude, because your bros are overseas killing people. I mean, it was just, it was so gross and pro-military. And anyway, he was gross, man. I just was like, God, and I, I just couldn't, you know, you, you, he looks like an asshole. And then what comes out of his mouth is like bullshit. So, yeah, anyway, yeah, he's a dude. Yeah, him and Phil, Phil and Solo, two pretty unlikable heavy metal uh, forefront uh, members of, of the heavy metal community. Uh, Phil and Scum all the time was a super joint ritual. I remember exactly the quote was, uh, you fuck with the best, you die like the rest, even though, not to get into the whole war, but Iraq never, that was Saudi Arabia that attacked us, not not Iraq. Right, Not right, to get into right. the whole Iraq war, we, that's a rabbit hole that would take us hours to go through. But a guy who walks up to us, like you said, and he says, do you love America? Right. <laughs> and it's like, Get to your fucking, this is a concert, asshole. Like, either get to your point or, you know what, don't even get to your point. Get the fuck out of here. It's a fucking concert. Right. You know what I mean? I, say, I, I don't really, like you said, hey, it was all about the 60s, talking about war, tying it in with um, music and stuff like that. But, I, I, you know, I don't know. The hippies were on top of the, they knew what the fuck was going on. You know what I mean? They read about what the fuck was going on before they actually that, opened their fucking mouths. You know what I mean? So it means that, well, that was the era, though. The 60s was, like, a lot of the music was protest music. So that was the environment for that. You know, Woodstock was, like, so, I don't know what you say, it was so the opposite of Ozfest. Ozfest is just, like, it's like a heaven, it's like bro heaven where just the metal douchebags just come out of the woodwork and you're just like, oh, my God. And he's, like, pointing at stuff. You know, they fight for freedom. And I was like, who are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, you mean like they're going to kill people? And, you know, so, yeah, man. <laughs> that guy was trying to get, first of all, the, the hippies were fighting against violence and war, and this seemed to be a show where people were fighting for violence and war. Um, the guy really was trying to round up people to beat up a guy who said, he walked up to a guy after Zach was talking about the Iraq war and said, yeah, we need to demolish these fucks, we need to do this. And the guy said something like either... I don't care, or get away from me, or I don't think the way you think. Right. To paraphrase. So the guy comes up, he's trying to round up people to basically gang beat the guy. Um, there's a lot of, and I'll tell you, we're getting away from the theme a little bit, but at heavy metal shows, I've seen so many pathetic tricks. Whether yeah, it's man. Slayer, 
or Ozzy or Pantera, mindless, dumb fucking orcs that just want to, who are the antithesis of all the music that I live. It's the antithesis of War Ensemble. It's the antithesis of Disposable Heroes. It's the opposite of everything that these singers are up there singing about on stage. Yeah. And that's just, heavy metal has always drawn stupid people. Let's, let's just face it. So anyway, we had to deal with that at, at the show. This is like 2005. Um, right. But, boy, where the hell were we going with that? I'm not sure why we brought that well, up. I mean, but Zach we're talking Wild. about Zach Wild. We're talking about Zach yeah. Wild. Very good guitar player. He offered a different sound, a little bit more of a southern rock feel to it. You can hear it in the solos. The solos to me aren't quite as technically sound as uh, or inventive as Randy Rhodes or even Jakey Lee. I really get yeah. kind of third place in the guitar player, but only by a little bit. I still think some of his songwriting was very good. Mama, I'm coming home. And different things that he did where the music sounded, again, different. It's just different. Right. And I welcome the difference of the of the uh, of the record. So for No Rest for the Wicked, um, talking about the first song, of course, is about Jimmy Swagger. Like uh, Bob Gaines yeah. goes off on this rant about uh, you're looking to point the finger at me as being evil. Meanwhile, you, you are not quite as heavenly as you seem. Right. Um, song for song going through this, I do think it's a very good record. I, I let, Miracle Man's okay. Devil's Daughter is pretty good. Crazy Babies is kind of a classic, classic guitar riff. Um, breaking All the Rules, very heavy, heavy guitar riff with that. Some very good vocal melodies. Bloodbath of Paradise about Charles Manson and the family. Uh, Fire in the Sky, taken. That's a lyric taken from Smoke on the Water from Deep Purple. It's just kind of a, yeah, he did, his ballads weren't usually love ballads except for like So Tired. His softer songs were usually about war. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I really don't know what Fire in the Sky is about, to be honest with you. Tattooed Dancer's kind of heavy, some good double bass. Uh, Randy Castillo showing off his chops there. Demon Alcohol, um, of course, is Bob Daisley, again, telling Ozzy he's an alcoholic. Right. The key to this record is the hidden track. A lot of bands started doing hidden tracks and you talk about some of them were really great. I mean, the, my maybe my favorite song on Nevermind by Nirvana is the hidden track, which is called yeah. Endless Nameless. It's fucking killer. Oh, so yeah, they, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. Oh, it, it personifies their sound. That's, that's their sound. So the hidden track in this is I Don't Want to Be a Hero, something along those lines. I Don't Want to Be Your Hero. Um, it's basically a song about he doesn't want to be your um, replace your father. He's not a parental type person to look at. He really isn't. Uh, but it's an excuse for him to say, hey, I'm a fucking asshole scumbag pig. And yeah. I hope you buy my records, but I hope you don't do what I do. Not because I love you, because I don't want to get sued for whatever you do. I don't know. It, right. it came off as very kind of insincere, but it's still the vocal melody, the keyboard intro, the guitar from Zach. I love that hidden track on there. Should have been, uh, well, no, it's good just the way it is. I was about to say it should have been on the record, but it was. Just a hidden track. Uh, Dirk, what do you think about No Rest for the Wicked? Yeah, it's just, uh, nah, I like, I don't, what song do I like on it? Um, I think 
Hmm. I don't know, man. I just couldn't get into it like that. It's like I said, it's like he went from ultimate sin and then he, this, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. Um, you know, I talk a lot of shit about Zach Wild, but, uh, I think he's a, he's, he's got some great rhythm chops. Like he's, his sound is good. Um, especially for metal. Um, I just couldn't get into it. Uh, and I think it was like a, just the stage I was in. Um, I was more into, I was starting to get more into like, like hair metal and hard rock. Um, so like, I just, I wasn't listening to it and I just couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. And it was like, all my friends liked it, especially the ones that listened to metal. Um, and, and Ozzy was actually really popular, like literally, uh, you know, more mainstream for him. Uh, you could hear, um, you could hear Miracle Man and then, uh, Crazy Babies was like a hit, but I just couldn't, um, just couldn't get into it, man. It was just, uh, it lost, to me, it lost some of its, he lost some of his edge if that is even a thing with him, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Coincidentally, he's kind of starting to clean up a little bit. Um, at this point? I, at this point, yeah, because yeah. I, I heard from, I read this interview with Dixon. Remember then, I remember seeing Ozzy Osbourne with White Lion, who, oh, I forgot to mention, Vito Brada, one of my absolute favorite guitar players from the 1980s, was yeah. up for the replacing, he was in that, uh, when Brad Gillis got it in 1982. Really? Supposedly he tried out for Ozzy. Ozzy liked him. Sharon, he pissed off Sharon with oh, something that he said, and Sharon said, we're, we're sacking this guy. I don't want this guy to be part of the lineup, even though Ozzy thought he was pretty good. Uh-huh. So, anyway, I saw Ozzy with, uh, White Lion and Dixon, and it was, uh, Good show, but wow. the singer from Vixen was saying, like, at that point, she was scared because she heard all these tales about, uh, you know, about how Ozzy how was to work with. She goes, he couldn't have been nicer. He was very nice. He went out with me, and he helped me uh, with my sound checks and these kind of things and, and gave huh. me some pointers and some advice. And when she had a bad show, she would go and say, I'm sorry, don't kick us off the tour. And he'd be like, don't worry, you're, you know, you're, you know, we think you're good. And so I was never a fan of Vixen at all, but... Um, anyway, her, her, her rendition of this was that he was starting to change at this point. I know that, uh, you know, by no more tears, he's starting to like work out and get a little bit of shape. And, and that's when he's kind of getting off the drugs a little bit and going on to the pharmaceuticals. Um, different conversation altogether, but, uh, and I also saw this tour started out with Ozzy and Anthrax, uh, in 1988. About this time, I was. Uh, I don't think No Rest for the Wicked is as good as The Ultimate Sin. I think it's as good, just about as good as Bark at the Moon, even though it may not have one track that's as killer as, as the Bark at the Moon song. But the album as a whole, I think, is, is good. Not as good, probably, as No More Tears. But um, at this time, I'm getting into Metallica. Once 1987 right, hit, yeah. I heard Master of Puppets. Right. Um, I was off the dock and stuff. Well, I still like to talk. I was off of the hard rock a little bit. I was getting into thrash metal. Finally getting yeah. into Slayer, Testament, um, even King Diamond, all that stuff. And the whole thing just reminds me, I'm going to talk, we'll talk about it from the Iron Maiden album as well, but I was getting into Headbangers Ball and watching like Nuclear Assault and Flocking yeah, and, yeah. and getting into that kind of music. Still liked Ozzy, still like hard rock, heavy metal stuff, but I was really getting into thrash at this time. Right. Uh, 
All right, so that's 1988. Are you ready to go on to Seven Sun? Yeah, that's all you, man. This is the other album where I'm just like, I I had, you know, it's funny. I, uh, my friend was an Iron Maiden fan, huge. Uh, so we had to hear this shit all the time, and we ended up, <laughs> we, we put together, like, a fake band, and we, we were doing, like, lip syncing and shit. And, uh, um, and we, we played, uh, we did, we did, I don't know what you would call it. We did a, a thing of, can I play with madness? Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, this is the, this is, this is, I, I, this is even, I, I continue, I fit, uh, I can't talk. I consider this even worse than summer. This is where I'm just like, I don't care anymore. Like, after this, it was just like, uh, maybe it was just like the phase, you know, I was in, I was just, um, as you were getting into thrash, I like thrash too, but I was really getting into hard rock. Like I, I was more leaning towards like, I was just like, ah, I don't want that heavy shit. It's stupid. I want light, fun, you know, bluesy riffs and all that. But, uh, yeah, Iron Man, I was just like, nah, man, what happened? So, so yeah. you, man. well, I think a lot of Maiden fans thought the way that you did, uh, they, went from guitar synth into straight-up keyboards, which you can hear right away with Can I Play With Madness, which Can I Play With Madness, my God, I, I, there's two different things. Number one, when I heard it, number two, these days, I mean, I, I just listened to the album again a couple of days ago. Can I Play With Madness just totally reminds me of the Headbangers Ball because they played it ad nauseum. I mean, Iron Maiden yeah. went beyond Headbangers Ball at this time. You could see Can I Play With Madness over and over again on MTV. They were really kind of overplaying it. Um, and I, I understand it's a very strong first sing, single. When I first heard it, I hated it. When I first heard it, I was like, this is shit. Like, it's not even that heavy. More keyboards and guitars almost, or I, I don't know. And, and they, uh, song for song, I, I, they weren't producing this kind of same, like, Run to the Hills, The Trooper, Flight of Icarus, uh, right. Minutes of Midnight, Wasted Years. It just wasn't, that kind of a record. Now, when I listen to it again, I, I like it. I've actually changed my tune on this record. I sure. That I still, I actually have more of an appreciation of Can I Play With Madness. I do think it's a, a really catchy chorus. I love what the two guitars are doing. It's an Adrian Smith, Bruce Dickinson song. Adrian Smith's riff comes up, and it's, you know, it's kind of a hard rock riff. Adrian Smith is a little bit more hard rock, heavy metal than we've talked about the difference with Steve Harris. I love A. Murray's doing a like his his guitar riff along with his rhythm to the track is fantastic. The Evil That Men Do Rocks, which was another video that they did. Seven Son of a Seven Son Rocks, kind of a lengthy tune from Steve Harris. The Prophecy, Dave Dave Murray. You know, it's not it's not very catchy, but it's got this great acoustic classical piece at the very end of it. Beautiful. Uh, Dave Murray adds what he does to every album, which is like one good song. The Clairvoyant fucking rocks. Steve Harris on The Clairvoyant, I love. That is melodic. That is heavy. That is awesome. Uh, only the Good Die Young. Only the Good Die Young. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Billy Joel already There's so many songs about The Good Die Young. Jesus Christ, man. You can't think of something yeah. else. But all in all, Infinite Dreams, pretty good. Moonchild, pretty good. I like it. I like the record. I don't like it as much as Somewhere in Time. I don't like it as much as... This is the worst album they've done since Killers. Maiden fans would say Killers are way better. 
I, I still think it's it's good, but they're going in a different direction here. That's about all I have to say about Seventh Son. And we're going to try to we got about ten minutes left here, so we're going to try to get through the rest of this kind of quickly. Um, after 1988, um, Maiden was still big. They're still excuse me. They're still headlining Monsters of Rock tours in Europe and stuff like this. Oh yeah. But in 1989, um, Bruce Dickinson did a solo album, Tattooed Millionaire. There's some difference of opinion. There's starting to be a difference of opinion in the band. Steve Harris doesn't like the direction they're going to. He's tired of the keyboards and the synth. He wants to go back to an original sound as in 1990s, No Prayer for the Dying, which, boy, if you don't like Seventh Son, don't listen to No Prayer for the Dying because that really fucking sucks. I mean, there's not even any, like, good, cool synth lead solos or it's not as much on the prog metal. A really, Tail Gunner is the only song I like. If, if you remember Holy Smoke came out, that was their uh, first single. All my, a lot of my friends were still into Iron Maiden at this time. But, hey, you want to go see Iron Maiden and Anthrax? And, and I loved Persistence of Time, the Anthrax re- record at the time. I would have gone to see oh Anthrax more than. Um, but yeah, but I, I was really not 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 feeling it with Iron Maiden around 1990. Anything after Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, but they're still big. Um, do you have any thoughts or opinions on? By the way, Tattooed Millionaire. You know what that song is about? Is that the Nikki? No, Tattooed Millionaire. Bruce Dickinson. Do you remember that song at all? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. I stopped caring at that point. Like, okay, I was more into. I was more into Bruce? grunge and like uh, thrash and uh, hard rock. So. Okay, well, that's when he recruited Johnny Gears, who ended up replacing Adrian Smith after No Prayer for Dying on Fear of the Dark. Tattooed yeah. um, Millionaire goes, I, I don't want your big city shining. I don't want your silver lining. I don't want to be a tattooed millionaire. You can't really tell from there. But Bruce Dickinson, we, we talked about how hard Iron Maiden worked through the 80s and how they were always on tour, always writing, always doing this and that. Um, Bruce Dickinson was going, but the whole band was going between L.A. and England a lot. Um, Bruce Dickinson's wife had an affair with Nikki Six from Motley Crue. Are you serious? I swear to God. Uh, um, so Nikki Six that he didn't know that she was his wife. And if you look at her, I've seen pictures of her. Not to hey, not to shame her whatsoever. Maybe she, maybe she's got something in person. But when I think of rock stars and I'm thinking of them having affairs, I'm thinking of like hot chicks. She was as plain as plain can be. Um, yeah. So anyway, oh, they said, yeah. yeah, Tattooed Millionaire was supposedly about a knock on Nikki Six for him being a Hollywood garbage guy yeah. having an affair with his wife. He is. Anyway. <laughs> What's that? I said he is. He's gross. He Man, is. Like, he he is. A, who knows what he's got as far as the I mean, seriously, so. did you get tested? Because you know he doesn't. He didn't use rubbers. That was the heyday of gross. And he was man. shooting up heroin too. Shooting up heroin, whiskey. Fucking, uh, you know, him and Ozzy were, or he was, they watched Ozzy snort ants. You know, that whole, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. So, at this point, there's not much left from Iron Maiden. They eventually, of course, like I said, Bruce Dickinson left, came back. Adrian Smith left and came back. Um, Fear of the Dark was a little bit better than No Prayer for Dying. Be Quick or Be Dead is a good song. Uh, from Here to Eternity is great. That's kind of like a return to form. That's a Steve Harris song. Um what about, I know you, you like, uh, as far as Ozzy is concerned, uh, he kind of went on longer than Iron Maiden. He had 
uh, No More Tears. He released another album that had uh, Perry Mason on it and uh, I'll See You on the Other Side. Uh, kind of a shitty record, but it had a couple of – it was called Osmosis. Kind of a shitty record on it, but uh, – Steve Vai? Steve Vai did a song. He wrote a song on it because Zach Wilde had left the band to be in Pride and Glory – and eventually, his other black, uh, what black label society. Black label um, society. I, I was really kind of surprised that Steve Vai would play with him. Like, I'm like, I, I'm wondering if it was like the money, like, oh, the money would be good. Yeah. But other than that, like, it was. It's not like when he joined White Snake. Like, it actually worked. Like, they had a, they had their song. You know, their album was pretty good. Uh, but uh, I just was, I was like. Really, Steve Vai? Like he also, I thought he was. You know, he he seems like he's just not like the rock star guy. He's he's actually an intelligent guy. Um, you know, he he may be around crazy ass rock stars because he's got all these stories about David Lee Roth and when they went on tour and what he would do. But he's more like level headed and uh, he's he's actually a little more deeper than most rock stars in the sound like he's just not he's like in his own league of rock guitar god like i was really surprised he joined that band and uh well, he, he didn't join he, he didn't join zach wilde still did the tour and did the majority of the oh, song okay. i was only on one one song i don't think vi was really doing too much at that time because he wasn't in white snake anymore i think he was back to doing solo records yeah. he was so i kind of disappeared a little bit except for the the three man thing that it was him right. and Satriani and and that other guy, <laughs> Eric Johnson. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about one last uh, thing before we go here? What do you yeah. think about No More Tears? Yeah, uh, it was actually it was actually pretty good, and um, uh, the actual title track is one of my you know favorite Aussie songs. It's um, I don't know. It was a weird when he came out with that. Um, it was like. I don't know, it was like, it was a good album. I think it was a good tour. Um, but the sound was great. It was like a perfect blend of heavy, um, and then Ozzy, and then he's doing this like sobriety thing, and he looked good. He looked healthy. He didn't look all like, and so that didn't last long. But, uh, no, it's a good album, real heavy. Uh, you know, I was really surprised, and, um, you know, and the production started to get better, um, in general, like most of the music that came out that time. So, um, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of music recently in the past couple of years, and, and it's like, you know, back in the day, I didn't even have good, I didn't have a good sound system, so I didn't even hear half the sound during the songs. Like the bass, they used to shit bass players, you know, like back in the in the 80s, it was like, I don't know if it was because of Reagan or whoever, but like you, you take the a lot of the bass out of like a lot of, you know, Michael Anthony complained that he got screwed on the bass. Um, who's a Jason Newstead? He got screwed on bass. And so I, I miss a lot, but this album is like punch. Like it's fucking heavy and it's slow. And like when it came out, that's what I started to get into because I started listening to a lot of, you know, and that was where metal was leaning for like heavy groove, slow everything down, slow it fucking down. Metallica's black album mellow or not mellow but just heavy uh pantera who's you know are douchebags but their sound was just like they they pretty much 
when they, they came out with their album, that was kind of set the tone for the standard of 90s metal was just heavy fucking, you know, don't shred so much. Just play a good song. And, and that's what Zach Wilde was doing. Like, his shit was so fucking solid. And, like, he played, man, it was just a good album. A good band. It was good. I liked it. I thought I was really surprised. And um, I, I just couldn't believe it. I, even to this day, it was like, this album, and uh, he did that last, he did that one album uh, in the 2000s. About the time we met, I think. Uh, down to Earth, I think. Down to Earth, and that was it. Like, same thing. It was real heavy, and, you know, I loved the production and the sound. and, and all. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, No Rest of the Wicked, great album. Iron Maiden, I just pretty much, they fell the fuck off as far as I was concerned. And, um, yeah. So, I think as far as No More Tears, at the time it came out, I thought it was probably his best. I've changed my tune over the years about that album. Uh, there's a lot of synthesizer on there, it a lot works. of keyboards. Uh, and I don't, I don't like, uh, the horn section and No More Tears doesn't do much for me. Um, the soft song, there's a lot of soft songs on there. With a beautiful guitar by Zach Wilde. I don't think it's nearly right. as heavy as No Rest for the Wicked. No Rest for the Wicked is much heavier than it is a much thicker bottom end. I think No Rest for the Wicked has more bass on it, a heavier thumping bass than, huh. No More Tears does. But time after time, a great guitar riff by Zach Wilde. The softer stuff is still good guitar. It's, it's when he does more of, like I said, a, a little bit of a southern uh, influence, southern rock influence. I think that Mama, I'm Coming Home is fantastic. Great That's guitar his solo. That's his um, Great acoustic. It was, I think to date, it's his biggest single right. on it, except for Close My Eyes Forever. The Lita Four oh, song, yeah. that was a top ten song. Technically, I was credited with that. But, um, yeah, if I go through the song, like, uh, time after time, Road to Nowhere was good, but it's soft. It's slow. It's not very heavy. Right. Uh, I Don't Want to Change the World, Desire. Sin is the first uh, song on the second side. I like that. Uh, Zombie Stomp is okay. I, I really just don't – I find myself not listening to this record as I get older nearly as much as the 80s Aussie. I think that sure. uh, Diary of a Madman is much, much heavier. Sure. Uh, Ultimate Sin is heavier. Heavier doesn't mean better. But no. um, I, I still think it's a good record, just not quite as good as... Uh, it's, I, I think, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit better than No Rest for the Wicked as far as the, the content. I really do think so. Um, yeah. Either way, it's, still, it's a very good record. It fits in with all the rest of his 80s stuff. It's a, sort of a crowning achievement after uh, a decade of doing solo records. And, you know, he, he kept going on after that. We don't have to mention all of Ozzy's successes. He's had a very successful career. Uh, both of these guys have had great careers. Uh, 30 seconds dirty. Any last uh, words about Maiden versus Ozzy? As far as uh, I, put, I put Ozzy on top. I like Ozzy solo. Not even Forget even the Black Sabbath stuff. I'll take Ozzy solo as a record collection versus Iron Maiden. Uh, so let's see. Um, I guess, man. Like I said, I would say, I would say that I, I guess Iron Maiden to me is a better band, 
but I like Ozzy's stuff, uh, despite all the crap. Um, I think he's, he's up there. I just, I just think Iron Man is more consistent, uh, especially for those, those like, you know, number of the beasts through Power Slave, like just nonstop. Um, with Ozzy, it's kind of, like I said, hit or miss. Um, you know, more albums, but it's like, um, if I, what I would do is I would just make a mega mix of all my favorites and put it together. But, I, but Iron Maiden, like I said, three albums consistent. Even Live After Death, I throw it on, listen to it, you know. But um, I'd, I'd give it to Maiden. Okay. So there we go. We got uh, Dirty Takes Maiden. Uh, sounds like slightly over Ozzy. I take Ozzy slightly over Maiden. Both great groups. We'll be back uh, with you guys. We're going to have a, a Chicago episode coming up. We'll do more Battle of the Bands. Maybe we'll do Battle of the Comedians. we got some more, like, arts and entertainment uh, episodes coming up in the future. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, Dirty, go ahead and say goodbye to the audience. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Uh, wash your hands. Rock and roll. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you next time. All right.